Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Have you ever experienced something totally unexpected? Totally unexpected, like uh, maybe a marriage proposal. Liz totally saw mine coming from a mile away. She was not surprised. Because the whole day, I was like, are you okay? Are you happy? Are you okay? Are you happy? And she's like, what's going on? He's so nervous. What's happening? So she knew. Uh, maybe a gift. Maybe somebody gave you a gift. Uh, that was a surprise, unexpected. Maybe a child in your life came unexpectedly. An act of kindness someone did for you. Maybe the Illini winning yesterday, which was exciting. If you didn't see that, they beat Nebraska. Um, wasn't that ex- I wasn't expecting it. I don't know about you guys. Um, I, love, uh, I love those videos of military men and women coming home to their families and surprising their families. Do you guys love those videos? I, I cry at them. I get goosebumps at them. Whenever I see one online, even if I've seen it 10 times, I'll just watch it again. I just love how they'll, they'll surprise their family. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's one of their kids. They go to their school and they like sit next to them at, at a desk and the kid looks over and they're like, Dad, or they go to their baseball game. Um, I just love those unexpected moments of those kids and spouses and moms and dads not expecting their son to be home yet or their wife to come home yet, and then they come home and surprise them. I love those unexpected moments. We're going to look at another story in the Bible of some people who encountered Jesus. And this one guy in particular was totally not prepared. Like he, he did not expect Jesus to be coming into his life and doing what Jesus did for him. And so we're going to look at his story. And our main passage today um, is going to be in Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. Um, but the record of Jesus' day, that day that um, is in Mark 5, starts in chapter 4. So I just want to give you like a quick little summary of what Jesus has been up to in this day. Um, because there's a ton of stuff that happens just in one day. And rarely do we get to see uh, Jesus and what he did in a single day. Usually it's like a story here, a story here, maybe they're weeks apart, maybe they're days apart, whatever it may be. But we get this like full day of Jesus, and I absolutely love it. So we don't have time to go deep into these, this day, these two chapters, four and five. So I want to invite you this week to read chapters four and five of Mark a few times this week, maybe every day this week. Just read it. There's so much in there that you can get out of it. Um, so write that down, put it as a reminder in your phone, read chapters of Mark 4 and 5 this week, and see what God does um, for you with those two chapters. And if you want to, let me know how it goes. I love hearing how those things go. I love hearing how you guys learn. Um, Maybe the parable of the mustard seed hits you in a different way that you didn't expect. Let me know. So here's what we got. Uh, At the beginning of the day, Jesus starts teaching beside the Sea of Galilee. And he starts with the parable of the scattering, uh, of the farmer scattering seeds. Maybe you remember this one. He throws some seeds on the path and the birds eat it up. And then he throws some in the thorns and they get choked out. And then he throws some in the rocks and then some good soil. Um, He starts with that story. Pretty famous story. He starts with that. Then he moves on to the parable of how um, we don't hide our light under a lamp. Uh, under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And then Jesus invents that song and sings it right there. I'm just kidding. Um, Somebody else invented that probably. Uh, But that's where that comes from. So then he moves to that. 
And then he's got the parable of the growing seed, um, how the kingdom is like this growing seed where the farmer plants it, and then it just starts growing. Like the farmer doesn't have to like tend to the little seed in the dirt and like make it grow, but the grow the seed grows into something, and the farmer doesn't even know how it works. Um, and then he goes on to the parable of the mustard seed, um, how the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's a tiny, 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 tiny seed, and then when it grows, it's this huge bush of a plant and one of the biggest plants out there. And then they decide to cross the sea, and, and they get caught up in the storm, he and his disciples, and Jesus calms the storm. That's Jesus' morning. Like, isn't that not awesome. Like we get that whole thing. And then we move on to our story in chapter 5 here. So let's read in chapter 5, verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasens. Let's stop there because I love maps and we get a place name here and we can go visit this place thanks to Google Maps. So uh, put that slide up with the little little map up there. Um, We can go to the Sea of Galilee. So uh, the Sea of Galilee is that big sea right there. You got the Jordan River that goes through the Sea of Galilee and continues down that valley. And you go far enough down that valley, you get to Jerusalem. And uh, Capernaum is where Jesus was. That's where he does a lot of his ministry. And they get in a boat from Capernaum, the blue dot on the right, and they go across the sea about five and a half miles over to the other side. Hit that next slide for me, and we can see where this is happening Um, so I'm guessing there at the boat landing, but it's in this region, somewhere in those hills is where Jesus encounters this man that we're about to read about. Um, I love that we can see where this stuff happened. You know, you can go to, to Capernaum and sit in a synagogue that Jesus himself sat in. Like we know for a fact that Jesus, 99.99 probability that he sat in that synagogue and you can go sit there. I think it's so cool that we can back up scripture with archaeology. I love it. It's so fun. And then I just love maps. So if I'm boring you, I'm sorry, but I'm, I excite myself. Um, so you can see those hills. That's where these caves are when we start reading about the, the tombs. Um, that's where we are, somewhere up in those hills. So um, let's continue reading. So... Uh, Oh, wait, I want you to do one thing. As we read, I want you to put yourself in this story as a disciple. Maybe you're a disciple watching this happen. You just saw Jesus calm this storm. You just heard his teachings on the kingdom of God. Um, And so you're probably pretty tired by this point, and then you just have this miracle experience where Jesus calms a storm. So you're one of the disciples. Maybe you're one of the herdsmen. The herdsmen are tending some pigs there. You can put yourself in as one of the herdsmen watching this story happen or as the man who's about to be healed. So insert yourself in the story, one of those three people, and imagine it from their point of view. All right, I'll read now. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasens. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tomb to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves, 
and in the hills howling and cutting himself, cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside him. Then the evil spirit begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Wow. So this guy, possessed by demons, is freed from their control with his encounter with Jesus. And what a story he gets to tell. You know, three weeks ago, I, I talked to you guys about like sharing our stories and some people in the Bible sharing their stories of, of, what that, of what their encounters with Jesus looked like. And now that I'm reading this story, this guy would have been a perfect example because as later we'll find out, he goes out, he, he gets freed from this oppression, and he goes out and he tells like all the cities in that region, he goes out and tells them what the freedom he's found in Jesus. And he goes out and shares that and brings hope to the world. We might even call him like the, one of the first missionaries to go out and tell people about Jesus. It's a pretty cool thing. This guy has a pretty great story of God's kingdom breaking into his life and setting things right. I want to look at this story through four lenses. Um, three of them I already told you about. We, uh, the disciples, we can look at it through their eyes and what they were seeing. We can look at it through the herdsmen and the townspeople. The herdsmen were there first watching this, and then they went and told the townspeople what happened, and they come out to see Jesus. Then we have the oppressed man himself, and then, of course, we have Jesus' perspective. Let's start with Jesus' perspective so we can get a baseline for what's happening, so we can see his mission. Um, to understand Jesus' point of view in this situation, why he would cross a lake to a foreign land that wasn't part of Israel, um, to heal him, to free him, we have to understand Jesus' central message. And the central message of Jesus was the nearness of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God was at hand. All throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus talks about his kingdom over and over and over again. In fact, just before he cast out this, these demons, like we talked about, he gave three parables of what the kingdom is like. He told us what we can expect from the kingdom. When we think about the kingdom, though, when we think about a kingdom here on earth in our Western culture, the first thing that pops into my mind is Queen Elizabeth, right? I think of England, I think of uh, Buckingham Palace and all that stuff, and the guards and the guys with the funny hats, all that good stuff. And uh, I think of like Queen Elizabeth ruling over uh, England for, it's 69 years now. 69 years, can you believe that? She's been ruling over there. So we think of a kingdom as primarily a realm over which a king or queen exercises their authority. 
However, in the biblical context, the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke about, about was not limited to a physical place or a city or a country. The primary Hebrew meaning of a kingdom is the um, meaning of a kingdom is the authority to rule, not necessarily in a particular place. It's God's power, might, and glory. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God over the heavens and earth. So when the scriptures say, seek first his kingdom, make the kingdom your main priority in life, we are seeking and trusting God's authority of our li- in our lives. We want to seek his way for us. That's his kingdom in our lives. We can read about what this perfect kingdom will look like in Revelation. Uh, Revelation 21.3 says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting at the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. This is our wonderful future hope. It's what our deepest souls long for. Complete peace. No sickness, no death, no pain, no wars, no virus, no more tears. God is making everything new. I want that. I look forward to that. Our present, current age, though, it feels nothing like that picture, does it? Nothing at all. We don't always experience the rule of God in our lives. It doesn't always feel like God's will wins every day. But God's will, it can be resisted by us. Um, The will of Satan and sinful humans, we can choose a different way. We can choose a different way that is not God's way. So we might then conclude that based on that, based on that verse looking to the future, that uh, the kingdom of God is exclusively for the future. But that's not the case. Because Jesus, when he came to earth, he started the kingdom. Not full yet. It is not in its fullness and complete kingdom revelation picture yet. But we do have these places where Jesus breaks through and brings his kingdom. I have a friend that often describes this as like um, in World War II when we stormed Normandy and, and we won that battle. It was kind of seen that like it was inevitable that the war was going to be over. Like we won that and there were just a few more things to conquer. The war is over. We know who's going to win at this point in our kingdom as Jesus has come. And we see these kingdom moments break through, but the war isn't quite over. Not until Jesus' second coming. But the kingdom is a holistic experience of our lives being continually restored under God's complete well-being for us. This is the idea of shalom and peace in the Bible. Perfect peace. Things in the world can be set right again like it was in the beginning under God's perfect rule. Healing, wholeness, transformation, peace, justice, and safety, they reign. It's the reality of heaven reaching down and continually transforming our lives as his kingdom breaks through our pain 
and brokenness through our world and reaches us. So this, this is Jesus' perspective. As he crosses this lake to reach this man, oppressed by evil, this man needed the kind of healing that can only come in the kingdom of God. He needed the kingdom of God to invade his life, to release him from spiritual, mental, and physical chains. And Jesus gifts him with abundant life. So now that we have this lens of Jesus, we can view the experience of the disciples and the townspeople in this man through that lens so we can see what's happening. So let's go to the disciples here. Um, For the disciples, what's not specifically mentioned in Mark and the other Gospels, but is implied to any Jewish reader as they're reading this, is um, who lives on the other side of this lake. And who they are. The disciples understand that nothing good is on the other side of that lake. There's non-Jews over there. There's sinners over there. There's bad people over there. Um, that's where the bad people live. Like we don't. There's no reason to go over there. Because first, they're, they're enemies, the Assyrians. For generations on generations, they own that land. And now the Romans own that land. And they oppress Israel as they are right now. And so they dominate that land over there. So there's no, there's no reason to go over there. There's nothing over there for them. You wouldn't catch Peter talking to Bartholomew saying, hey, let's go get some authentic Roman food today on the other side of the lake. That's not going to happen. They're just not going to go over there. There's nothing over there for them. So I wonder what the conversations were like on the boat ride over, maybe before the storm, as Jesus was falling asleep in the boat and they were paddling over, putting up the sail going over this lake, I wonder if any of them like grumbled a little bit, like, why are we going over there? Like, there's just a bunch of heathens over there. We don't need to be over there. Let's keep doing miracles over here in in Israel, because Jesus was doing tons of miracles at that point. It was pretty cool. Knowing their cultural history and based on the comments of the disciples throughout the Bible, I I wonder if some of them even um, assumed that since this guy, possessed by demons, was a bad guy in their minds, that maybe he deserved these demons. Maybe he deserved to be oppressed. Yet, they followed Jesus there. They may not have completely understood the mission of Jesus, but they trusted and they followed and they went with him there. The kingdom of God, it's not always going to look like we want it to. We'll pray for Jesus to work in a certain way for certain people to resolve a situation in the way that we see is best. But God's kingdom, it doesn't always fit our mold. You can see this with the disciples. They had a mold over and over again in the New Testament of what they wanted Jesus to do and what Jesus actually does. Don't think that changes much for us. We can pray for things that we need and want, but sometimes Jesus meets us in a different way. His way, a better way. So perhaps instead of asking God to work where where and how we want him to, maybe we should start praying and asking God where and how he wants to work and then be ready to follow him there. Even when it's inconvenient for us, even when it's not something that we totally want to do, but we can see that God is moving, we can see that God is working, and we follow him there to where he's working. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't pray for the things that you want. 
the things that you need. God wants to hear those things. But we also have to be ready to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. You notice that prayer, the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's at the beginning. And then at the end, that's when we ask for our daily bread. That's when we ask for the things that we need. After we say, God, your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because we're saying, God, I need some things, but you get to go first. You show me where you're working. So we have to be ready for that. That's the disciples. Let's move on to the townspeople. I want to read um, through four, uh, 14 and seven, through 14 through 17 in Mark 20 there. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and surrounded the countryside uh, and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. It's assumed that everybody knows who the weird guy in the caves is. So they probably want to see what was happening. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were afraid. (laughs) And those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Man, Like, you would expect them to be like, whoa, Jesus, that's amazing. What else can you do? But no. They said, get out of here, Jesus. This is too weird. This doesn't fit our mold. This doesn't fit our box of what you do, of what's supposed to happen. These guys missed out. Um, You guys know Apple computers. Uh, You guys know Steve Jobs and and, um, who's the other guy? Uh, Steve Wozniak. Um, they, when they first came up with the Apple computer, they, um, well, they took it to other people and those people missed out. Let me read this quote from Steve Jobs. He says, so we went to Atari and said, hey, we've got this amazing thing, even built it with some of your parts. What do you think about funding us? Or will you, we'll just give it to you. We just want to do it. Pay our salary. We'll come work for you. And they said, no. So then they went to HP, and they said, hey, and they said, HP said, we don't need you. You haven't even gone to college yet. So they just rejected their Apple computer. And I wonder, I still think about, like, did those guys who said no, it's probably like just a small group of people that said no, do they still think about that moment when they said no to Apple? (laughs) They missed out. They had something right in front of them that was great, and they couldn't see it. It's kind of like these townspeople. They saw a miracle right in front of them. They were witnesses to the power of Jesus. They directly saw the freedom and healing given to this man, but they said, no, that's cool and all. That's cool that he got healed, but get out of here. Why? Why would they want that? Why would they want Jesus to leave? Jesus' work in their community cost them something. It cost them something. Surely they saw, sure they saw an outcast receive healing, um, but as pig farmers, they lost a whole lot of money as they watched their pigs drown. Having Jesus around cost too much. He was too risky. What if he did something else that cost them something? So they begged him to leave. If you're like me, you're quick to judge these folks. I mean, look at what they give up. 
Do you get, I wonder if I could go back to them, I was like, do you have any idea what you just gave up, guys? We're quick to judge these folks. They rejected Jesus, but receiving Jesus and receiving his kingdom will cost us something. However, as we live in his kingdom, we'll gain much more than we ever give up. And so as I prepared this message, I started to think about what pigs I have in my life. We all have them. What do we value so much that in holding so tightly to them, we inadvertently ask Jesus and his kingdom to leave? Just like these townspeople did with their pigs. What, what do we have in our lives that we're saying, I want it to be this way, Jesus. I, I want uh, my job to be this way. I want my family to be this way. I want my friends to be this way. I want to do these things. And as long as those things are set, I'm good. And if Jesus comes in and maybe messes with some of those, we're just like, ah, I don't like that. That doesn't fit my, time, my timeline of, of how I want things to happen. And so inadvertently, we, we ask Jesus to leave. Are we ready for him to move? Are we ready for him to make a little bit of mess in our lives? To inconvenience us a little bit to help our neighbor? Or to, or to do different things in our lives than what we want. Maybe because it's messy, it's inconvenient, it doesn't come, his kingdom doesn't come like we want it to, how we were praying for it to be, so it can't be. But the kingdom of God promises to bring life, real life, life as God meant it to be. It has the power to restore and redeem whole families, our lives, our communities, that's what the kingdom of God does. It frees and restores. What are the things in our lives that we can give up? Or maybe just reorganize so that Jesus can come in and move. Let's look at the man himself. This is, this is a great one. I, I love that this guy, I mean, think about who he was. He wasn't expecting Jesus to come over. But let's read uh, the end of this story. So he's already healed, he's clothed, he's sane, he's in his right mind. And then we read in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. This guy was banished from his community. He was forced to live in some burial caves, some old tombs. And I don't blame the community or his family for banishing him. I mean, they didn't have the resources to take care of him in a safe way like we might today. To them or any reasonable person of that time, he was messed up. He was beyond hope. He was unsavable, wasn't he? The Bible describes him as acting more like an animal than a human. He was howling in the rocks, living out in the wilderness. So he was abandoned, left to fend for himself. But just because he was demon-possessed doesn't mean that he had no mind of his own. He still had his own thoughts. He felt every bit of that oppression, every bit of his abandonment, and I'm sure he wonders why he was the way he was. Maybe he wondered what he did to cause this. Maybe he thought he did something wrong. 
that allowed this to happen. We don't know for sure whether it was or not. Can you relate to those feelings? Have you ever felt abandoned, alone? Have you or are you going through something where you wonder what you did to deserve something? Why God is letting this happen to me? Perhaps something has happened to you that oppresses you every day that, you, that is so hard to let go of. And maybe you can't even let go of it. Maybe it's something that's put on you. I have hopeful news for you. From this man, we see that Jesus is here. From other scriptures, we know that Jesus didn't just stop healing then, but his kingdom continues to now. It's still advancing. It's still going forward, bringing freedom to people. In the same way that Jesus crossed the lake and met that man where he was, Jesus meets us here by the power of his death and resurrection through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in, um, in Luke 4, he reads Isaiah, and it's a prophetic uh, word about himself that he's reading. This is Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is the kingdom of God in this guy's life. And it advances into our lives as well. It just didn't stop when Jesus died and went back to heaven. We see his kingdom coming through our lives. And so if you need healing, if you need hope, Jesus is here for you. We want to pray for you. I invite you to to worship with us. And then at the end, we're going to have some time of prayer where you can pray for freedom. And again, like we learned, kingdom doesn't always come like we want it to. But his kingdom does come in our lives. Let me recap. Jesus' kingdom is here. It breaks through the pain and suffering of our world and brings peace. His kingdom often shows up in ways that are unfamiliar or unexpected. So instead of us always asking God to work in the ways that we want him to, we ask God, your will be done, your kingdom come. Where are you working, God? And I'll follow you there. And making the kingdom our primary concern, it's going to cost us. However, as we live in his kingdom, we'll gain much more than we could ever give up in this world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that you break through our pain, through our hurt, to bring new life. You said that you came so that we could have life and have it to the fullest, have it abundantly. And God, we are so thankful for that. And we're so thankful that we get that through your death and resurrection by believing in you. So Jesus, we ask for your kingdom to come here during this worship time. Reach us, break through, break through our world and bring, uh, uh, pull back that, that thin veil between heaven and earth. Jesus, we ask for your kingdom to come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look for the ways that you work and we want to follow you there. Jesus, we love you. Amen. At Life Community Church, 
we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.